but these aren't mass fishers, manufacturers that are, you know, uh, sweeping the seas uh, in a way that's not sustainable. It is uh, line and hook, sometimes fishing. Hi there again, food enthusiasts. My name is Chris Rechkowski, your host today for the Future Foodcast, where we talk with thought leaders in today's food industry and discuss the trends and technology that will be shaping the future of food. Very happy to be speaking with Jonathan Larad today um, with Spanish Pig and Tinmonger, the founder there and also leading the company forward. Welcome to the program today. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Excellent. Well, it's great to be talking to you again. And um, you have a, a really interesting uh, sort of background and origin story that brought you to these companies. And maybe you can sort of introduce yourself to our audience by kind of giving a little view of, of your background and what ultimately motivated you into starting up these companies. Sure, and thank you for the opportunity, by the way, to, to share my story about Spanish Pig and Tin Munga. Um, so yeah, it's uh, um, started about four years ago um, where I had a office job. So I was essentially working in professional services, management consultancy, research firms, et cetera. Um, and as a side gig, so to speak, I, would, I was um, kind of acting as a, uh, as a second arm um, to um, a right arm, sorry, to uh, an importer distributor that already existed selling Spanish food. So I was doing that, as, as I said, because of my love for food and as a side, sidekick. Um, and then what happened uh, as COVID hit, um, I realized the potential that Spanish pig um, had potentially as the amount of people were starting to purchase food online, um, which we can go into later on about how that trend had changed so dramatically. So I decided to, to quit my day job, so to speak, and uh, dived into Spanish pig, um, launched it full time, working at it full time. and Hey, you can see me in the uh, warehouse where, <laughs> where Spanish Pig is based. So, yeah, and since then I haven't looked back, and it's been uh, it's been incredible. It's uh, a passion of mine has always been food and Spain because I'm half Spanish. Um, so now to be, be able to work with food and with Spanish food specifically um, is a uh, is a dream come true. It's a it's a great path into uh, this current business or businesses of yours, and I want to explore both of them a little bit later. But it, it's uh, sounds like a really interesting sort of confluence of situations that really made this possible. One, you know, your background in general, both professional capabilities and your sort of natural interest in food and your personal background, um, your regional background, um, but also the, the, frankly, the capability of technology to deliver a product remotely. Um, and at the same time, we have this uh, unfortunate event of everybody all of a sudden needing to buy food and wanting to buy food um, online versus going to food stores again over the last two years. So um, sometimes uh, there are certainly silver linings in these clouds <laughs> that we're facing these days. Um, yes, well, with that, uh, maybe let's talk about Spanish pig. I understand that was sort of the first business that started up, which ultimately has led to a, an additional business, which is Tinmonger. But first, tell us a bit about Spanish Pig and what it specializes in, and then maybe you can segue into uh, Tinmonger. Sure. Um, and, and yeah, just to reiterate what you just mentioned before, I think it was the perfect storm that led Spanish Pig to, 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 to be what it is today. Um, and, and what it is today is 
uh, an e-commerce site where we essentially sell all the delicious Spanish food that I missed when I came to live in Canada 11, 12 years ago, and I just couldn't find these, these high-end Spanish um, products. Um, Spain, as you know, is well known around the world for its, its cuisine and its, uh, from its ham to its chorizo to its, you know, so many, an array of, you know, incredible foods that come from Spain. So I, I basically was just looking to extend, uh, extend that knowledge to, to Canadians uh, and by trying to find the best products um, around um, in, in Spain and bring them to Canada. Um, so as Spanish pig has grown, um, that has grown into from uh, not just the cured meats that I mentioned, but also uh, conservas as they're known in Spain. So that would be um, preserved canned seafood um, or vegetables or many other um, foods that they, that they can. Um, and so the success of selling canned seafood um, on Spanish pig led to a sister company, so to speak, uh, called Tinmunga, where we don't just specialize in Spanish seafood, canned seafood, but canned seafood from around the world. Um, it's a, a big trend in Spain and has been for a long time, but also huge. If, if any of your uh, listeners have been to Portugal, you're in Lisbon Airport, for example, there's a whole shop dedicated just purely to canned seafood. Um, and so, uh, and now it's a, a growing trend in countries like the US uh, and here in Canada, we've got companies like Scout, the Canadian uh, um, high-end um, seafood manufacturer, but in the US it's also growing considerably as well. And so we're seeing a trend changing. So Spanish pig and tin manga uh, are hopefully um, riding that wave of, of change um, within not just the tin seafood, but also uh, the receiving food online so purchasing online and receiving it in the post so to speak mm. and of course it's uh almost the perfect protein product to be selling online it's hard to sell um sort of i guess what uh, many people consume on a daily basis and their proteins of you know animal products it just doesn't ship um and what you're what you focused on is really perfect both in the preserved meats the hams especially but also fish that are literally designed from a century plus ago to, you know, be packaged fresh and be consumed essentially fresh um, by the consumers. And, and I want to dig into the importance of that in a moment and, you know, sort of the, the end consumer's interest in transparency these days of and really understanding and appreciating where food came from, but especially on the, on the fish products that you have, maybe, Tell us a little bit more about how, just how special it is what you're selling. It's not, you know, bottom end canned tuna that you can buy um, in the store, but really a pretty special product that both tastes great, is very attractive, but also very healthy because of the essential freshness of it. That's right, exactly. So um, very different, as you very well pointed out, from the store-bought um, uh, tuna or sardines or anchovies, whatever it may be. This it differs mainly in way a it's the way it's caught and it is sustainable. Um, um, so these aren't mass fishers manufacturers that are you know uh, sweeping the seas uh, in a way that's not sustainable. It is uh, line and hook sometimes fishing. Uh, so it's the way it's fished. It's also the quality. So if you get to Cantabrian, uh, the northern shores of Spain, anchovy, and compare that with the stuff that you will find in a can, and this sad-looking thing in a can in a supermarket that people use on top of a pizza, they're just completely different worlds altogether. 
So there you've got the quality as well. And then it's even the, the manufacturing. So once they have the fish and they tinning, they tin it. This isn't done by machine, but this is done by hand, cleaned by hand, so a bit sardines, deboned, and then canned. And then that's not where it finishes. It's also then the materials they're marinated with um, uh, or, or canned with that really do bring out the flavors um, of, of, of the fish or seafood that you're eating. So all of those things combined together, um, and then you know the, the packaging tends to be quite beautiful as well. That what I think a lot of uh, canned seafood manufacturers realise is that it's hard to um, get drawn towards a can on a shelf in a supermarket if it just has a once again a sad looking fish on it. It's some of these um, tinned seafood that we sell from around the world have got stunning artwork on them, and because you know we do judge by appearance sometimes, and so that that helps as well. So all those things combined together, you end up with a very premium product. And you can just tell the moments you open it um, by the smells, the flavors that you, you have a, um, a top shelf um, seafood product as opposed to you know, the mass manufactured unsustainable seafood that a lot of people re uh, relate with canned seafood these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's, and I'm sort of building this up for a purpose. Again, there's gonna, we have an interesting discussion about transparency supply chain and the importance of that to people these days. Um, in addition to the the seafood side, the canned seafood side, the Spanish pig products, I think they have a little bit of a similar sustainability story behind them. Um, you know, it's not uh, factory farm raised meats that you have here. There's really a special process there, as well as sort of special packaging and preparation of delivering that product. Maybe help us understand a little bit more about that. Sure. Um, and so I'll, I'll go also as an example using um, um, the acorn fed pigs that we sell, Iberico ham. Now, Iberico ham will fetch a price that some people will compare with the Wagyu beef of the meat world. And, and it's the same fact as what you just realized, what you just described. It's how the animal is treated, what life it has. Is it free range? What diet does it, has, uh, does it have? So all of those things that are combined together not only make a, a, a delicious product, of course, but also um, the welfare of the animal, um, let's say in this case, the pig. So if we take the Iberico, uh, Iberian pig, which can only be in Spain and Portugal, um, as a side interesting note, anecdote, the US have tried to imitate the Iberico pig by bringing in a breed from Spain, which in itself is um, is disputed as a bad idea because, you know, it, it should be a Spanish thing. It's like Parmesan comes from, from certain parts of Italy and therefore the Iberico pig should come from Spain. But anyway, I digress. They, they brought them to the US uh, and they, instead of fedding them acorns, they fed them hazelnuts, still free range Iberian pigs in Texas, I think it is of all places. Uh, and the result is just nowhere near as good as the Iberian pig on acorns in the Deza, which is the, the part of Spain where they mm -hmm. sort of tend to roam free. So all of that to be said is that, yes, the traceability of the history behind the, the producers and then what happens to the, to the meat after the pig, in this case, is slaughtered, i.e. spending three years, if not four years, curing slowly um, um, and then uh, packaged very carefully. And then it's as a treat, you would eat 50 grams, maybe 100 grams at a sitting. This isn't about eating large quantities of red meat to fill you up. This is a delicacy. It would last a long time. So I think it's an interesting shift on how we perceive food as well. It's not just your meat and two, two veg. It really has mm -hmm. to come down to, uh, you know, it's meat, of course, uh, so it won't appeal to everyone. 
but it is a luxury in the sense that you know you're eating something that's a sustainable it's free range it's had a good life um and so all those things combined together obviously reflect in the in the final price but i think are extremely important when the customer is is eating something mm-hmm. as luxurious as this yeah so i i see also an interesting sort of collection of um great value really interesting product um sustainable product here and um and the ability for consumers to buy this product literally anywhere in the world, but maybe most conveniently in North America, based on shipping issues. Um, and I think normally when a person who has an interest in this or is developing an interest in these types of products, you, you have the opportunity to go to your local specialty store, say a Spanish specialty Spanish store in Toronto, as an example, and really learn about it um, from the proprietors and that authenticity can come through which can be lost on the e-commerce side. Um, At the same time, we see a lot of entrepreneurs of very high quality products like yours that are really trying to, if you will, transmit that authenticity, that transparency electronically um, through social media, through connections there, but also that transparency. And what what are you doing today to both provide that transparency of where the product's coming from, but also what channels are you using to communicate that? And then maybe after this, you know, we'll talk about what might be possible in the future. How do we bring that up one or two orders of magnitude to really uh, hit home with the consumers? So it's a very good question you bring up because um, I have to reflect everything I just mentioned before about how luxurious and how special these items are. I've got to reflect that on a web page. And all I have is a description um, and a photo or video, depending on what what media you want to use. And and that is the answer to your question, essentially, is that content is everything. So um, it's about writing a product description that sounds enticing to a consumer that maybe have never had Iberical Ham. Are they they about to spend $50, $60, $100 on or $2,000 if they're buying a whole leg of ham? So it re- you really do have to uh, convey how special it is in the description of the um, uh, of the descri- of the actual product. Photography is also an extremely important aspect. Uh, you, what you can't do is upsell a product. You can't make something look stunning, and when they receive it, they open the box and it looks completely different because mm-hmm. you know you're going to have very disappointed customers. So uh, what we've noticed is that you really do, as a customer would in a restaurant or as a chef would do, is that you have to present it in a way that they can imitate when they receive the product at home. Um, And so that's where we've really seen as a shift and a growth in Spanish pig is that we're not just selling the product, but trying to sell the lifestyle and what to do with it once you have it. And so our growth in being able to attract more customers is we realize it's not just about getting more and better products, but also educating the customers what to do with them, using the photography, using the description to show this is how you lay it out, this is what you do with it. Um, I, I even have these labels printed out that we stick on every package, which is take, take your cured meats out of the fridge 30 minutes prior to consuming. A lot of people don't know that because if you eat cold cured meat, you're not releasing all the beautiful fats from it, etc. So um, kind of long story short, it really is, as I mentioned, about um, educating and having the content and very importantly, the photography as well, so that they, the customer can, can see what they're, you know, what they're getting and what they can do with it. Yeah. And, you know, it is, we are at a pretty amazing point in techno, technology development right now where this is possible. You know, you, you're not, and say, 
you don't have an IT dev team and all this stuff. You're able to do this essentially by yourself with a small group, connect with people around the world, manage that whole supply chain without you know a back office of 500, which has not always been so easy to do. Um, but with technology today, that's become easier. But let's maybe uh, do a little bit of crystal balling here a little bit. You know, what might things look like in three, four, five years as we have this, we have technologies developing very robust capabilities to do track and trace literally all the way back to if a single fisherman caught a fish and that fish moves through a packaging line into a tin, into your product, through an e-commerce portable into a, into my home. Um, because in, again, the reason I'm building this up is it's such an amazing story. It's really so special. It used to be very hard to do. And now, um, you know, you started a business with a lot of experience, expertise, and hard work, but still started that up in two years. But let's imagine what we could do, you know, three, four years from now. What do you think would be, what parts along this supply chain do you think would be very important to your customers? For example, knowing the fisherman or the, even the boat it came from, seeing the factory where it's packed, where like you described, you have these beautiful tins. If you look on, people look on your website, you'll see a, an open tin and it looks almost too beautiful to eat the fish laid out in there. The people packaging that food, you mentioned photography is very important to presenting this. All this can be available, for example, and I've seen this with a few, especially like coffee companies, scan a QR code and learn something about the product. Do you see it being a, if you will, an educational and sales motivator? If for products, they're able to scan it, the consumer is able to scan a QR code on an e-commerce website or in a store and really experience a part of that journey of the product. Yes, exactly. Because uh, right now, um, up until uh, COVID hit, where people weren't accustomed to buying food online, um, the experience they had was going to the supermarket, where the only information you have is essentially what's on the package. Think about it. Unless you've bought that product before and you know what it tastes like, you're purely basing it on advertising or uh, advertising external or advertising by the package when you're there. So to your point of having a QR code, or in my case, going to the web page and having a description of, of the product, um, I have that advantage. Um, and so I've gone from having a disadvantage by not having a bricks and mortar store, because people didn't have the, uh, weren't accustomed to buying online, to now having the advantage of being able to educate someone like yourself. For example, if you came to Tin Mung or Spanish Pig, had no idea about a product, but just curious, there might be, um, uh, there'll be a photo of the product in a description. But to your earlier point, there might also be then a link uh, in that description to the producers who was actually making that product. And what does it look like? What, what part of Spain is it coming from? And what is the what is the, the, the manufacturing plant or the fishermen that are getting it or the um, or the people working back in the factory deboning the fish? You know, who are these people? So already we have that. So this is not even a crystal ball. This is not even looking in the future. This is currently something that I have the advantage over over bricks and mortar. Um, and so that traceability, that knowing exactly where uh, where what you're eating or where it comes from, it is. Incredible. Now it will travel. Um, obviously, you know, having to put something in a mail and, and put it, sending it to someone, um, is is part of the process, and therefore maybe not that environmentally friendly because you're looking at postage and sending stuff. However, what I find fascinating now as well is that there are people in parts of Canada that can eat food, uh, Spanish pig or tin mugger food, that up until 
e-commerce, uh, availability of food on e-commerce they couldn't touch. My favorite story is a product that I ship in from Spain was ordered by someone in the most northwestern parts of Canada, or not, not northwestern, but just I think somewhere in the north. And they were so far up north in Canada, Chris, that they were actually further away than Spain is to Toronto, where I was based. Wow. So you can see the interesting move that product made. It went from Spain to Toronto, and then I was able to find a network of people in Canada that could be interested potentially in that yeah. product. So I am opening up um, uh, potentially that uh, products that would never have been able to eat unless you're in Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, et cetera. There's a good chance you're never going to get your hands on those. So I think that is a growth that we're going to see in the next few years is that regardless of your geographical location, that shouldn't be a stop to what you can eat and when you mm -hmm. can eat it. Yeah, I, this is certainly an important enabler. Without that delivery reach, without that communication reach, of course, this business obviously doesn't hold together. Um, and I think we are seeing this shift across the world right now. COVID has really driven the realization that there are a fairly large number of people that can work from home. And I'm actually representative of that. I have an opportunity to work from home quite a lot. And I have um, two of my key criteria in looking for a new home literally are what's the internet connection like and does Amazon deliver? And it doesn't always have to be Amazon, but the point is if you can get deliveries and you've got internet, I can be shopping in Toronto, even if I'm living, you know, 50 kilometers from a small town in British Columbia, as an example. Yeah. Exactly. So, and then I and then I have to be able to ship it to you as well. And you have to be able to, as you say, receive Amazon or receive any courier. So that exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So all of this is coming together. Um, and I, I can almost foresee, you know, in if we'll call it the good old days where you can walk down a a nice shopping street in Toronto or your small town and you've got a variety of stores there. Um, that is happening electronically today. And it's not, doesn't have to be just go to Amazon and shop for a billion products, which is great. I love it. But somebody can go and find Tinmonger and feel like you're shopping in, if you will, an old time Spanish shop for very specialty products. But I, I'm looking for how do we close that gap for sort of a cold technical feeling of shopping online versus, you know, having Jonathan there to give the introduction or being able to even reach back and say, you, you see a video clip of uh, Maria who's helping to pack the sardines or these types of things. How do you see that maybe flowing into your business? And now skip the technical implementation because I think this is what companies need to deliver to businesses like yours that have the potential but need essentially the platform to get out there. How do you see utilizing something like that, you know, in the next five years? Um, well, I, I think it's adding to, you mean adding content regarding describing the product on the web page? Yeah, as, to get that content from? as there's much more content available, as it becomes easy for proprietors such as yourself, small, medium-sized companies to use it, what in your crystal ball, what do you see sort of the trends in the future of what's possible and how your product, yours in particular, can succeed even more based on that transparency and the, frankly, the trust that it brings in your product? Right. 
Yeah, because I think, well, the, the, the description that we use a lot for these kind of programs is artisanal, and they are artisanal because they're coming from producers that they are. There just aren't that many of them producing it. Um, and so how to show a customer that it is artisanal, as you very well gave the example of maybe a family, a video of a family of Maria showing uh, showing you through. And I think it's into, people have, have loved cookery programs now for quite a while. There's a big boom around 15 years ago, at least in the UK, and I'm sure here in Canada, around everyone watching cookery, cooking programs. And I think it's getting that, uh, I think people found them uh, interesting because it, it's educational and it, you know, just, kind of it gives you an insight into other people's homes or how people are cooking and so on. So I think it's doing that with products. It's intermingling, as I was saying before, educating people on not just where it comes from or what, uh, and what to do with it. So technology will enable us to have content like videos so that when you go to the product page, it's not just the product, it will be links to who, this is the producer, this is how they put it together, this is the journey it takes, this is its um, environmental footprint, whatever it may be. Uh, and so, Yes, I think that's where e-commerce will have a huge advantage, as I mentioned before, over the uh, over bricks and mortar, because we just have that information at a fingertip, at a mouse click of the mouse, as opposed to if you're walking down the the, uh, the you know the the aisles of Sobeys or Loblaws or whatever it may be, whatever supermarket you may be in, and as I said before, you're having to judge purely based on 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 the product in front of you. So I think that is the future. I think it's building up more content, more uh, information regarding the product, where it came from, how it got to where you currently are and what to do with it. Um, and so in a weird kind of way, competing with restaurants in the sense that um, it's not just buying a product and having to look for a recipe separately, but everything's, everything's kind of um, you know, molded together in the one product description to help you take you through the journey as such. Yeah, well, I I find it really excellent and exciting to see you in a warehouse with your equipment only two years or a bit more after getting started. Um, what do you see as sort of the growth trajectory for your businesses over the next five years? Um, what What's exciting for you? What new things can we expect from Tinmonger and Spanish Pig? I think the, the big shift that we're seeing um, that we've probably all seen is the subscription model. Um, and so that's where we, Tinmonger and Spanish Pig, would like to see the, the biggest growth. It's curated boxes. It's like there's a lot of people that know exactly what they want. And so we have the a la carte menu on Spanish mm -hmm. Pig and Tinmonger. But there are lots of people, um, including myself, I subscribe to certain food boxes, either it be weekly, monthly grocery, you know, like grocery boxes, fresh vegetables, and so on. So I think that's that's where we'd like to see the growth is that um, the monthly seasonal boxes of either it be Spanish pig or tinmonger uh, is sent to your door every month or so, um, where you have a selection of curated goods um, that we've chosen here at Spanish Pig, based on either seasonality, based on recommendations, products that we've that we've tried and think that you would like, based on um, on the information that we have on the customer. So it's not just um, sending out. Uh, continuously the same box to everyone there, there has to be customization as well to understand that not all palettes are the same so that's definitely uh, one area of where we're excited and we're hoping to see growth over the next few years is is definitely having as is, is, is those boxes subscription boxes mm. Mm. yeah and it's interesting we can maybe wrap that um, plan and concept also back to what you know, people also enjoy doing is going to the market, um, or at least used to be able to enjoy doing. 
And when I say the market, I don't mean the grocery store. I mean, you know, a street market or something like that. And it's essentially a curated process. When you go to the market, you talk to the people that you normally buy from, they've got something new, they've got, they know what you like. Um, I see that almost as a way of engaging with consumers again, and significant happiness from both sides there. The consumer likes that they feel pampered. They are pampered. They're getting special treatment. Like you said, it's not just, you know, it's the February box. Everybody gets the February box. They get the February box for John. And that's because we understand John's um, interests. But of course, from the retailer side, you know, this is the dream that uh, everybody wants is recurring business without having to go out and spend more on marketing or maybe just finding new customers is that recurring business is very, very important. Um, do you see, I, I guess, do you see essentially developing online possibly and through all this technology, almost a sense of return to the market because of these technologies? Exactly, you hit the nail on the head. And, and like when I see a customer name come up on screen, um, and as Spanish Pig grows and we have more employees, I, I would want to install this in all um, all members, all employees. But to go back to what you were saying, I think yes, when a name comes up on screen, I've got to send them like a subscription box. Uh, ideally, I, that name means something to me. I kind of have already an idea of their preferences, either it be notes in the system that have reminded me that they're allergic to nuts or they simply don't really like sardines, but they love mackerel, whatever it may be. Uh, and so, yes, ideally, even, even a better relationship than in the market. Now, we can never compete with the likes of St. Lawrence's Market or going to Borough Market in London uh, or the many ones, in, in the beautiful ones in Spain. Um, because there you have a selection of, you know, of course, everything can you get mm -hmm. to visualize it. However, where I think we can be more is actually even more personalized than a, than a market holder, where we really do get to understand the client, keep a note of it, see what we've sent them in the past, don't repeat products. So technology enables you to have a very personalized relationship if used correctly mm -hmm. uh, and if you're not doing it in, in mass. Um, so as you say, it doesn't have to, it doesn't want, I don't need it to be the February box where everyone gets the same thing because you get people fed up and they won't continue subscribing eventually. Um, so that customization, that feeling of them going, you know, like going to uh, a friendly shop and where they know me and I know them, uh, that's, that's exactly what I, I'm, I'm aiming for. And mm -hmm. as I said, technology really does enable me to have quite an interesting um, uh, data on, on each customer based on their requirements. Yeah, and I, you know, I could see this having an interesting feedback loop also to actually even reconnect people with, and people that have even never experienced the, the joys of going to a market like that, an, an open market where you have lots of sellers, um, if they're able to experience that online and understanding that it's somewhat of a replication of a, you know, a very, what was a very important social situation. Um, an example of that, I was talking with another company a couple of days ago that, you know, was bringing coffee from Mexico into Canada. Um, and from their business, it's actually created a, re a flow of tourism to this area in Mexico because people hear about it. They want to go see where this coffee is grown. So I, I think I don't see it, this technology just packaging everybody into augmented reality glasses and we're going to be plugged into the wall. Um, certainly there are some that will be happy to exist like that, but some pe people will experience your product maybe for the first time and say, wow, I'm going to go to Spain 
and, and enjoy that for real. And do you see that? I do. And I have people coming back and exactly I see that. Yeah. People that um, have been maybe they've been to everyone that I know that in Canada, for example, um, or the US for that matter, that have been to Spain tend to gravitate towards Barcelona for good reason. It's a stunning city. Um, but what I find is that they might have gone to Barcelona, they've experienced some Spanish food, they love it, they come back to, you know, come back to Canada, they purchase food uh, online, uh, for Spanish food, and then they, they will eat some seafood, for example, from Galicia, the northwest of Spain. And so to your point, the next time they go to Spain, even though they love Barcelona, they go, well, but we've got to, you know, we've experienced food now from other parts, and they've made, read the descriptions and realized how diverse Spain is, that going to Sevilla, Barcelona, or Santiago de Compostela are three very different, almost like countries to go to. And so the foods in each of those areas are different. So uh, I would like to think that people by purchasing, you know, food from Spanish people, Tinmanga, is making them inspired to, to go and, and travel and see the country more. Because essentially that's what food is. I've, I'm a big believer in that when you're, when you travel to somewhere, try and keep as local as possible. The wines from that region will tend to probably go better with the food from that region for good reasons mm -hmm. so that's where they that's where you know that's where they're from it's not just because the freshness level but uh, you know a sherry from Jerez where it comes from with some nuts simplicity simplicity at its best um mm -hmm. as opposed to uh, I don't know like a sweet wine from northern Spain with something from Sevilla they just they will work but not as well and so educating customers in other parts of traveling for sure that's a it's a it's a brilliant byproduct of 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 Spanish pig, if that's the case, yeah. Yeah, I see a, a very nice sort of traditional plus technical ecosystem that Spanish pig and tinmonger are supporting and, and really growing up, setting the trend, um, picking up these traditional foods, figuring out how to deliver them locally, where local is half a world away from the origin, um, figuring out how to re-deliver it as you described, further away than you are from the origin, but communicating that authenticity, that transparency, traceability to the end buyer, so they can essentially feel like they went to the market and got that ham, they went to the market and got that tin of fish, and they they believe it and they can feel it, and then it wraps back to them actually going there is a pretty amazing uh, circle. It is, and, and just to add to that as well, what what people that uh, sign up to our newsletter, either at Tinmonger or Spanish Pig, we make sure that it's not just all promotional material because people unsubscribe to that quite quickly. So what we make sure make sure as well in these in these emails that we send our customers or or, or potential customers are recipes. It's history behind the products that you were describing before about Maria, for example. That's exactly what we do in these newsletters because. Um, what we're doing is not just show, introducing you a product, but introducing, as you very well said, the region of Spain where it comes from, what to do with it. And so that newsletter is another way of allowing us to communicate with the customer, which once again, a supermarket won't necessarily do. So you don't receive newsletters from supermarkets unless it's to tell you that there's a 20% sale off or whatever. Uh, and so engaging with a customer in as many ways as possible to try and make them understand that this, the food, the price point, et cetera, comes from specific place uh, and then introduce them to that place and then get them to experience that that area of Spain is yeah is, is, is half the reason if not 75% of the reason why I wanted to do Spanish pig is yeah. introduce Canadians to Spanish food. So Jonathan we've talked a lot about sustainability um, very important to consumers but another trend that we see that is quite strong these days is healthy eating 
And can you tell us more about how Spanish pig and tinmonger address this trend in healthy eating? Yes, exactly. Very true. Um, so we've seen a rise uh, in consumption of, uh, of tin seafood, especially among young, I can tell this because I'm in contact with a lot of my customers, but young health conscious um, people. And the reason is that, and I think this is not an area that's been explored very much um, with regards to the health benefits, not explored as in general knowledge, um, is the, the health benefits of, of canned seafood. Um, either it be sardines or mackerel, um, but especially bluefish um, because of their, their health benefits. Either it be they have you know, high content of omega-3 and calcium and vitamin D, all those good, good things. Um, so that is also, uh, and the amount of protein, healthy protein that canned seafood um, provide you. Um, I, I sometimes here in the warehouse, I, uh, I get a bit hungry at lunchtime. And it's a bit dangerous being surrounded by canned seafood, but I'll have a can or two for lunch. And it's um, A, full, you know, very filling, and B, I, I know, you know it's actually quite a healthy, healthy way of eating. Um, from the ham um, perspective, the fats that are included in an Iberical piece of ham um, have been compared by scientists in Spain. This isn't a marketing you know, like just a, a, a market employee, it really is true that they've discovered that the, the fats in Iberical fat um, are comparable with the um, health benefits you get in olive oil. Um, so mm. once again, eaten in moderation, um, not, you know, kilos of it, but uh, as a tapa, um, either it be canned seafood or, or ham or the salchichon or chorizo that you might eat, um, Everything in moderation, but you know the health aspects of it are quite notably notable. Yeah, and and again, you know these health aspects, while well known to yourself, in some cases may be new to people, and, and that's where I think your ability to express this information via technology platforms makes it very easy for people to understand, but also they have that trust when it comes through the, the platform that you're providing. Well, it's really an amazing business and an amazing and growing success, Jonathan. Um, with Spanish pig and tinmonger, like you brought together these traditional foods, they are representative of traditional sustainability, um, not possible without technology and a tremendous growth opportunity in front of you. And I really appreciate you being on the show today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on your show. And it's been great speaking to you. And uh, yes, I hope to speak to you again. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcasts. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry. 